Well, here's the story for the rest of you. Um, there once upon a time, there was a, a guy, and this guy was driving his brand new convertible. You're going to like this story. He was driving this brand new convertible, and he was driving on a mountain road, and he, his eyes started to get heavy, he started to fall asleep, and his car goes off the cliff. And so just like in the movies, he bounds out of his car, and his arms are flailing, and he's able to grab a hold of a branch. And so he's holding on for this branch, and he's watching as his new convertible goes and crashes a 1,000 feet below. But now he's stuck because there's no way up. There's no way down except to let go, and, and that doesn't look like a good option. And so the guy cries out. He says, can anyone hear me? And all he heard was, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, with the echo. So this guy, he was a Christian guy, so he says, I know, I'm going to cry out to God. So he says, God, can you hear me? And God answers him, and God says, yes, I can hear you. And the guy says, God, can you help me? And God says, yes, I can help you. Do you trust me? The guy's like, oh, God's asking me a question. Of course I can trust you, God. Of course I trust you. And God says, let go of the branch. And some of you probably heard this story before. What did the guy say? Have you heard it before? He says, is anyone else out there who can hear me? <laughs> you know? I got a great quote that ties this together and a message together. Here's the great quote. I'd never seen this quote before this week. I was reading and I came across this. Faith is trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. Isn't that true? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there will be times where you are going to be asked to trust him and it won't be until later where you realize, oh, that's why. That's why. Three weeks ago, we launched a series, a brand new series called Stretched. Stretched. We talked about, when we launched a series, about our, our time, our calendars, you know, how stretched they are. And one of the things we've been challenging with the last couple of weeks is maybe one of the reasons we feel so stretched in certain ways is because we're not stretched enough in other ways of really trusting God. When, what's what, he, what he says, and today, we're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about money. And we brought back our bucket. We had this bucket in uh, week one of the series. And we said in week one, that bucket represented your calendar. And we talked about these little blocks and how they represented all the stuff that our culture says that we need to try to fit into our schedules. And we looked at that and we said, there's just no way. You could be the most organized person on the planet and there's no way that you can fit everything into your schedule that the culture expects you to fit in there. Isn't that true with money too? For some of us, trying to make a budget is just one of the most discouraging things ever. Because unless you're going to put 35 cents on each line item, you cannot make it work. You can't make the math work. Because there are too many things that we feel like we're supposed to put into our budget bucket. There's just too many. So let me, if you're not already discouraged, let me discourage you a little bit. All right? If you own or rent a home... There's a whole lot of expenses associated with that, aren't there? Unbelievable. Just that one line item has all kinds of line items underneath it. You've got mortgage, you've got repairs, you've got cleaning, you've got maintenance, you've got decorations, you've got a yard perhaps, taxes, electricity, water, heating, appliances, buying them and repairing them and replacing them, furnishings, siding, painting, carpet, roof, a yard. That's just one thing. You could fill up your entire budget bucket with just the house. 
But a lot of us, we need to get around, right? And so some of us, we, we buy vehicles. There's a lot of us expenses associated with a vehicle. I hear these people, I got this great deal. I got this car. It's only going to cost me $500, says the teenager. <laughs> it's going to cost you $500 just next month, right? You know, just for all of the stuff. So there's the car itself. There's maintenance. There's depreciation. There's repairs. There's tires. There's clean. Especially if you've got a $500 car. There's going to be a whole lot of expenses coming up with this thing, right? Oh, and then how many of you eat once in a while? All right. It's expensive because there's not just even the cost of the food. There's all the stuff that you have to have around your food to prepare your food, to store your food, to, to take care of your food, to, to serve your food. There's stuff even like dish soap. So you've got this one, like this little line item that all of a sudden gets really big. And we could go on and on, couldn't we? I think about retirement. They used to say, try to save at least 10% of your income for retirement. I don't hear anybody saying that anymore. They're saying 15%, 20% of your income should be put away just for retirement. Then there's emergencies. People say, used to say, have at least two months of savings, liquid savings for an emergency. I don't hear people saying that anymore. I hear them saying more like six. Six months, okay. Write that into your budget. Oh, my word. Then there's education. Tuition, books, all the fees. There's taxes, income taxes, sales taxes, property taxes, social security taxes, levies, assessments. There's clothing. And it's not just the clothing. There's all the expenses surrounding the care and cleaning and storage of the clothing. There's also health, exercise, doctors, eye care, dentistry, vitamins, medications. There's grooming. All the money associated with taking care of yourself so you don't stink and you look good and all those kind of things, right? And your hair is... So there's pets, Pets are really expensive. I grew up in the country. Our pets weren't that expensive. We got them for free and they just died every year, you know. And they, in, in city pets, suburban pets are really, really expensive. And kids are a whole lot more expensive than pets. Can I get an amen? A whole lot more expensive. We're still going with our lists. We got sports. If kids are in sports, there's registration fees, equipment fees, tournament fees, fundraisers. That's like more than the... the there's all of the, the camps, music, there's lessons, there's instruments, entertainment, vacations, music, movies, games, cable, electronics and communications, internet, phone, computers, all of which are outdated three hours after you bring them home. Unbelievable. There's hobbies, there's memberships, there's boats, there's clubs, there's cabins, there's golf clubs, there's books. There's legal fees, there's debt, there's mortgages, college debt, cars, car debt, credit card debt. How many of you know Christmas is coming up? (laughs) Christmas is expensive, and that's one of many holidays. There's also birthdays and weddings and showers and those neighborhood kids that always are selling something. Give you the little eyes. And this isn't even an exhaustive list. I read an article several years ago, USA Today. They said, how much does the basic American dream cost? This is kind of like the bronze plan American dream. They said, how much does it cost if you're a family of four? What does it cost to have a house, modest house? What does it cost to have two cars? What does it cost to save for retirement, save for college, for those just two kids, and to do some of these basic things? $130,000. No wonder. No wonder it's hard to fit those things in that box. Here's the thing. If 130000 isn't a thing enough by itself, I don't remember giving being in their calculations. 
And I know most of you, and most of you want to be generous people. You look at this world in need, you want to be able to give generously to the causes that, are, that matter, right? <laughs> Here's a great quote that speaks to that. It says, money, money is another pair of hands to heal and to feed and to bless the desperate families of the earth. Money can go where I don't have time to go, where I don't have a passport to go. Money can go in my place and heal and bless and feed and help. Since we're really discouraging people right now, let me just keep doubling down on that. I was thinking about Bill and Melinda Gates and how much money they have. When they decided to get really serious about meeting the needs of the poor and and, and everything, you know what they had to do? They had to make a foundation. Think about If Bill and Melinda Gates don't have enough money to care for people they want to care for, and they have to fund a foundation, we don't have a shot to add now giving to our overflowing bucket. Oh, my goodness. Um, In the pursuit, here's something I encourage you to open up your your notes, if you could, the green sheet, and write this down. In the pursuit of a life well-lived, most Americans are stretching their budgets too far. We're, We're trying to do the things that the culture says we should do. We're trying to live well and give generously to the poor, and we're finding that we're just stretched so far that there's not joy, there's not peace, There's a lot of stress around money. And if you take your cues from the culture, that peace and that joy will not come no matter how much you make because no matter how much you make, peace and joy will always seem like it's a few thousand dollars away. Because I can tell you right now, if your bucket gets bigger, if your bucket, if if you don't have peace and contentment with the small bucket, when that bucket gets bigger, you won't have peace and contentment because there will always be now new things, right, that are just out of reach. I encourage you to write this down too even if you don't know this first word, mammon will never become your prince of peace. If you do know what that word means, can, you get an, can I get an amen? Mammon will never be your prince of peace. The word mammon, this is interesting. The English word mammon comes from a Latin word, which comes from an earlier Greek word, which comes from an earlier Aramaic word, which may even have an earlier source. I bring that up because have people been trying to wrestle with wealth forever? That's what mammon means. It means money, it means possessions, it means wealth. Have people been wrestling with this forever? Yeah, people have. They've been wrestling with this bucket idea forever. In fact, here's a quote that goes all the way back to the first century. This guy was an advisor to Emperor Nero. That's how old this is. And he says this, money has yet to make anyone rich. Can I get an amen to that? Money itself has never made anyone truly rich. So, back to our guy hanging from this awesome story that I told earlier. I got to tell it to you sometime. I know you didn't want to hear it tonight, and you probably went like this, la, 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 but I'll tell it to you something. It's really awesome. Um, okay, so this awesome story that I told earlier, the guy's hanging from the branch, right? He's hanging from the branch, and he feels desperate. Let's say you feel like that when it comes to money, and you're like, God, I need your help. I need help from above because I feel like I'm just floundering here. Let's say you cry out to God, and a religious person intercepts your message on the way, and they say, let me speak for God and tell you what you need to do. And they said, you know what? Your budget doesn't include a tithe yet. A tithe is 10% off the top, and you can make a strong case. In fact, I don't think you can make a case using the scriptures that we should be giving less than 10% regardless of your income. I think we can talk about that after the service if you like. I, I don't know how you can do that. So they do have a point. And so they say now, on top of all of the things you want to do, on top of giving to the poor, God gets your first and your best, add 10% on top of that. 
And now all of a sudden, as you're crying out to God, it feels like my burden just got heavier. Because now I have more expenses than anyone else. And I'm trying to carry this weight. Is that the life that Jesus invites us into? No. We've had two verses that we've said each week of this series so far. One of them is our memory verse. We're going to do that in a second. But the other one is this. And we'll put it up here on the screens. Matthew 11.30 says, these are the words of Jesus. He said, my yoke, which means my way, is what? Easy. And my burden isn't heavy. It's what? Light. So clearly, Jesus is inviting us into something different than this. He's not inviting us into a world where we already are struggling to to make it all work, and on top of that comes giving to the poor, and on top of that comes 10%, and we're just weighed down trying to say, this is impossible, how does this happen? And then someone throws out the cliche, oh, with God, all things are possible, and you're like, oh, what, that didn't help at all. And so you're just feeling a bit down. Jesus is inviting us to something different. Here's the verse we've been encouraging to memorize. And we're going to look at this in just a second. We're going to look at it in context. And we're going to see this verse that we've been trying to memorize. It has a direct financial context. So this idea of yoke and money and light burdens, it's all tied together. Here's the memory verse. And I want to challenge you as Brandon did last, last week. If you have it memorized, try Or you think you might, try closing your eyes. If not, um, go ahead. The words will be up here on the screen. This is Matthew 6.33. And it says, read it with me or say it with me. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6, 33. Imagine if it's true that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that there'll be a light burden on the end of that. And that these things will be added unto us. The things that we need will be added unto us. Imagine if that's true. And many of you are experiencing this right now because I know many of you and I know you're trying to apply these principles in their life-giving. But if you're not, imagine a life where you've got financial margin. Imagine a life where you've got no debt. Imagine a life where you're not living paycheck to paycheck. Imagine having money in the bank. Imagine having money set aside for retirement. Imagine having enough space in your budget to give generously to God-honoring causes. And I want to challenge you even further. Imagine if you lost all your mammon. Imagine if you could be just as content and have just as much joy because you know the giver of all good things. And you know that he can give and he can take away and, and he, he wants to free us from the stress of, of linking our security and our contentment to money. Imagine if that was your life. And if you have kids, what a great legacy. Imagine if we could leave that legacy, that our kids could experience that, that they don't need the newest and latest to be content. Imagine that. That's what God is inviting us into. So here's the principle, and then we'll dig into it. And there's a place to write this in your notes. God first giving, it is important piece of the seek first yoke. If you want to have that light burden, you've got to figure this thing out with money, with God's help or it'll never feel light. There'll always be this stressful part of your life. If you don't get to this place where you can say, God, I'm going to trust you with all the stuff you've entrusted to me. God first giving is an important piece of the seek first yoke. Billy Graham said this about money. Anybody remember Billy Graham? He said this, if a person gets his attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of their life. All right, I mentioned earlier, the immediate context of our memory verse is a 
proper understanding of wealth. So if you have your Bibles, please open them with me to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to look at, get a running start at 33. Our memory verse is Matthew 6, 33. We're going to back up from it two verses. So let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Hey, I want to let you know too, if you don't have a Bible home today, you don't, at home, you don't have to budget for it. We'll give you one free right here up in the front. So I encourage you to take one on your way out as a gift to you. All right, here's what it says. These are the verses leading up to Matthew 6, 33. He says, therefore, these are the words of Jesus. Remember that word too. Therefore, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. You know, Jesus is not just advocating a different way here. He's inviting us into a different kingdom. A different kingdom. And he contrasts here. He said, you know, in the kingdom of this world, the Gentiles, meaning all the non-Jews, they, they, they're, they're, they're stressed. They're wondering, what do I going to eat? What am I going to wear? They're, they're stressed over these things. He said, if you, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the immediate context is, you're not going to have to worry about those things. We talked about this in the very first week of our, of our series. That came to pass in the book we see in the book of Acts. People started living by these principles, and no one was going without hungry, without food, who wanted to work, and no one was going without clothes because people were sharing and taking care of one another. And when one person needed some support, they came alongside and supported them. And when, when that person was on their feet and someone else needed support, they were taking care of one another. We saw it come to pass. And we see it come to pass in our days. We're able to do things together. We're a part of a denomination called the Covenant. We're able to do things together that we could never do on our own as independent churches. When there is a crisis around the world, we have this arm of our, our, of our denomination called Covenant World Relief, and they're there, partnering on the ground with people in that, in that area. We have missionaries all around the world. There's no way we could send out all these missionaries as independent churches, but together we can. We're caring for the poorest of the poor, providing relief when disaster strikes. We're planting two new churches. Um, we're planting a church, a new church, every two weeks in our denomination. It's unbelievable. Closer to home, we're part owners of an amazing camp. We couldn't afford Covenant Pines on our own. How many have been up to Covenant Pines? It's an amazing camp, isn't it? We, think we can do things when we pool our money together. We've got two new church plants that are coming to our office to use our, um, our copy machines and our, and our resources. We love to do that. And then we have other churches who open their doors to us when we need some space. It's a beautiful thing. And we're just getting started. You're going to hear as we get into 2017 of, of this new initiative we're going to have called Small Church, where we're going to be trying to help empower people in neighborhoods so that you've got right in where you live, You've got people that maybe you can start building relationships. How could we live differently? How could we live more acts-like? How could we share resources so we don't need one of these and you need one of these? Or you've got this skill. What if you could help with this and what if I can help with that? Could that help with some of the margin? Yeah. But that's just the superficial. That's like just layer one of this. That's just the clothing. That's just the food. That's just that stuff. God wants to take us even deeper, even deeper. So let's dig deeper into the text because this passage began with a therefore, a therefore. In fact, there's two therefores in this section. And one of the cheesy lines that they taught us back in the day in seminaries, they said, if you're studying the Bible and you come across a therefore, you're supposed to ask what it's there for. Exactly. So let's go exploring. So let's back up. We were in Matthew 6, uh, 31 through 33. Let's back up. 
and see what the context was. Let's see what's behind the therefore. So let's back up to verse 19. Matthew 6, starting with verse 19. Here's the context for this. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he says this about money, and then it seems like Jesus goes off topic. Because then all of a sudden there's this thing about eyes. The eyes are the light of the lamp of the body. So if your eyes healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then if the light within you is darkness, how great the darkness. Then he gets back to the money piece and says this. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, If you're a normal American Christian, you read these words, you hear these words, you go, hey, okay, I'm just going to keep going because I don't serve money. I serve God. I don't got a problem with this. I want to tell you a story that really rocked me that happened recently, and maybe it'll rock you too. There's a young man, some of you know him, his name's Aaron Prince. He grew up uh, in the youth group that I used to lead back in the day, and He's no longer a teenager anymore. He's a young man, and, and he's gone all over the world, all over the world. And God is doing some amazing, amazing things, and he was telling me about them. Well, one of the things, one of the situations he found himself in is he was in the Congo, and they were training pastors. And these were men who, they were, they were wanting to serve God with their whole heart, soul, and mind, and strength. In fact, some of them were putting their life on the line. It's just that they didn't have much training. And so they were coming to learn about God and learning about his ways so that they could teach them to others. And so they're training these pastors, and one of the pastors in the back puts his hand up. And they're like, oh, got a question. Great. What's your question? And the pastor says, when I steal, if I don't get caught, is that a sign of God's blessing? (laughs) When I steal and I don't get caught, is that a sign of God's blessing? Like, <laughs> Let's have a conversation. Our culture affects us, doesn't it? Our culture can make us blind to things. We can be very sincere. That pastor was sincere. And he was sincerely wrong. Here's a great quote I saw on culture. I, I love this quote. Um, if God has made us in his image, we've returned the favor. Isn't that true? And didn't people do this in the election? Didn't they? This is what God is like. And he's not like both of those extremes. Right? If God, here's why that story rocked me. Because I'm like, where am I missing it? Because I'm a part of a culture. Where am I that blind? And of course, I'm studying this topic. And I'm like, oh, I don't have to look very far. Because we live in one of the most affluent cultures the world has ever seen, ever seen. And we forget that. We forget it. There's all kinds of websites out there where you can go and take a look. You can study this thing, and you're going to find slightly different numbers, but they're pretty similar. I'd encourage you, one of them that I've looked at is called Global Rich List. Again, don't look at it as the gospel, but, but it's a helpful starting point. If you plug in the number 30,000 a year, let's say you make 30,000 a year, you are in the top 1% to 2% of the income earners in the world. 
what we would consider a modest salary in the United States is at the top of the world. And again, our defenses come up. Well, it's cost of living's higher. Whoa, where's that coming from? Is it coming from that, hey, wait a minute. We need to press into this. In, our, in a nation where our modest wages are higher than 90% of the world's population, is it possible that we don't have clear sight on this? Is it possible that we're a little blinded to the realities? And then I thought about that passage that we just read where it seemed like Jesus went off point with that eye thing. It's on point, isn't it? Let's put that structure of that passage we just read up on the screen, just condensed. That section, it's not, this section isn't like Proverbs where you kind of go from one thought to another to another. This is a, a continuous thought on Jesus. And he, t- he takes us through where your treasure is, your heart is also. Then he says, if your eyes are bad, how great is the darkness. And he continues that thinking and you can't serve two masters. May I present to you that our eyesight is not very clear when it comes to wealth. And that we probably have all kinds of blind spots when it comes to money, when it comes to mammon. Elsewhere in Matthew, Jesus says how hard it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And a lot of us, we just keep reading because I wish I was rich. I wish I had that problem. Are we that blind? Wow. In a world where 2 billion people live on $2 a day, who are the rich? I came across so much great thinking on this subject this week. Consider this. There was a French historian and political scientist, and he remarked in his study about the United States that he knew of no other country where the love of money has such a grip on men's hearts. How long ago did he file that report? More than 100 years ago. New York Times, according to them, according to them several years ago, They said the average person in the United States is exposed to more than 3,500 advertisements every day. Every day, 3,500 advertisements are coming at you saying, you need this in your bucket. You need this in your bucket. You shouldn't be happy if you're happy because you don't have this yet. 3,500. Is that going to affect our eyesight? Is that going to affect our contentment? Is it possible that when we sing, I surrender all, we are sincere and we're lying at the same time? Is it possible? Is it possible? Anyone getting a little uncomfortable? (laughs) Let me me double down on that right now. Because I've been reading through Matthew. There's so much about this in Matthew, including this passage. It says this, what do you think? A man had two sons. And these are the words of Jesus. He said, the first son, he, the father went to the, or the man went to the first son and he said, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. And the son answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same. And the son answered, I'll go, sir. I surrender all. But he didn't go. Which of the two did the will of the father? And they said the first. One that said, I'm not going to go, but went. Who didn't? The one who said, I surrender all, but didn't. And look what Jesus continues. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, tax collectors, the prostitutes, are going to go into the kingdom of God before you. If we had more time, we'd press into this idea of the kingdom of God. Let me just say this much about it. The kingdom of God is not just talking about eternity. It is this invitation that starts now. God wants to invite us into a life now where we're walking where Jesus is king. 
And we're beginning to learn what it means to live by his ways now. And he doesn't want you to have to experience this heavy burden. He wants you to experience a life where he's guiding and you're learning his provision and you're learning to trust him in all things. In a nation as affluent as ours, is it possible that we're acting in disobedience when we sing, I surrender all, here's my 10%, you know? What if we looked at any kind of giving as a step in the right direction rather than a goal that we hope to achieve someday? All right, we pressed in pretty hard. Let's turn a corner. Let's start talking about the good news. The good news. The good news is this, that Jesus never said the kingdom of heaven is like a budget bucket. And if you add a tithe to it, it's going to get lighter. That's not what he said. He never said that. And as I was trying to think through, okay, what is a paradigm we could use? If, if the kingdom of heaven is not like a budget bucket, what's it like? And then blinding fast, the obvious, oh, let's look at what Jesus said about that, right? So here's one of the things Jesus said about that, and we'll put it up on the screen. This is Jesus' words in Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is not like a budget bucket. It is like this. It is like a treasure that's hidden in a field. And a man found it, and he covered it up. And then with his what? His joy. He goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. The word joy is in there. My friends, this is an invitation. This is an invitation that you don't have to live like that. But you can experience joy as you follow and trust Jesus. Got a different illustration than the bucket. What if we looked at tithing, giving, it's a treasure hunt. And I know this is totally cheesy, but what if? What if instead of looking at that, 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 that giving first to God is the thing that we just got to add to an already stressed up? What if we're like, this is a step in trying to rethink everything about money? What if that's it? What if it's like, I'm going to trust you, God. Okay, I'm going to give to you first, and I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to see where that takes me. And I also want to say this too. For those of you who don't know me, who don't know us, if you think this is about us trying to get more money for the church, don't give here. Don't. Find another God-honoring cause. If you think that's what I'm trying to do, read the scriptures, give somewhere else. That, that, it, this isn't about that. This is about trying to say, what does is, what is Jesus invite us into? He's inviting us to rethink this whole thing. This whole thing. So I'd encourage you, if you haven't already wrote, written this down, write this out. Tithing, it's, just, it's a checkpoint on a treasure map. You know, as we are trying to help make disciples at our church as we're trying to do this insert here and try to help people move deeper in their faith, you'll notice that it doesn't end with the one on stewarding God's resources. It doesn't end with, um, with uh, God first giving. It ends with joyful stewardship because that's where God wants to bring you to a place of peace and a place of joy. And here's one of the things that we discover. One of the things God wants to help you with, he wants to help you with some of those blocks because at, you, at the end of the day, you, you've got to come up with some sort of budget, right? He wants to help you. The obvious thing is he wants to help you remove some of those. He wants to help you to go, you know what? Right now, you don't need that. I can't remember if I told you this in this hour yet or not, but that opening story that was so good that we opened with, I was thinking about changing it to even a better story. And do you want to hear that one? Yeah, yeah? okay, good. Um, I was thinking of, of changing it where there was a guy, instead of on a car, he was going to be in a boat. And the boat was going to sink. And instead of bailing out, he was hanging on to it. This is good, isn't it? And he's hanging on to it, and it's sinking, and God says, let go. 
God wants to help us that way. He wants to help us let go of some things. But you know what? God is good and there's joy in this journey. There are things he wants to help you add that cost money. I remember I'm so thankful that Laura was really listening to the spirit of God because one day she called me with a request that we never would have put in our budget. We purposely moved to the Mounds View School District in part because of their schools. And then I get this call out of the blue when Emma was about to enter middle school and it was my wife and she said, Chris is going to sound crazy. I think we're supposed to send Emma to a private Christian school. And I said, that does sound crazy. But she said, well, you pray about it. And I said, I'll pray about it. And I prayed about it. And Emma, are you where you're supposed to be at your Christian school? She said, yeah. She was supposed to go there. And, and it brought her joy, and it brings us joy to see you in the school you're supposed to be in. Andrew's at Chippewa Middle School. She's supposed to be there right now, and I hope, praise God, that she's supposed to be there. for the, right, But um, there are going to be times, you guys, where God releases you from guilt. There will be times where you're going to be spending in areas that you may not have thought to experience joy, to enjoy a wonderful vacation, to enjoy a great meal. To, to, but, but it's about following Jesus, right? And not just following the culture and following what we think we're supposed to do. And again, the scriptures point us even beyond that, more than just the blocks, but to, to this life where we're content in all situations. The scriptures point us to a God who owns everything and he can shift and deploy his resources as he sees fit. The Bible, this is interesting. I wish we had more time because we could even go back further in Matthew. And we'd see in right before the part that we just read, you're going to see that the Bible actually talks, Jesus talks about rewards. He talks about banquets in heaven where things can't be stolen or wrecked. In fact, one of the things it says elsewhere in the scripture is that the kingdom to come, there's a heavenly home that's prepared for us and it's paved with streets of what? Streets of gold. So I want to encourage you to trust God this morning. Trust God this morning. I'm going to close with another great story. And uh, before I do, I want to just quickly say three things. Number one, I want to say thanks to those of you who are living and modeling this. There are so many of you that I look up to in the way that you are trying to carefully manage God's resources. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. This church was founded um, in 2000. Seven, but our first full year was 2008 when the economy just crashed. The other two covenant churches that started that year didn't make it. But because you give generously to God and trusted us to steward it well, we, we've thrived. We're, we're putting together our budget for this year. I'm looking back at past trends because we want to be really wise in terms of our budget coming up. Since 2011, our budget's doubled. That's crazy. So thank you. I know that you give to God, but thank you for trusting us. Um, with, to steward that money well. So that was the first thing. Number two, <laughs> some of you right now, if you're, like, you're, you're feeling like that person on the branch, right? And you're like, I can't let go because my finances look like that over there. And if I start adding anything to it, I'm dead. You know, if, if you're feeling that, I encourage you to talk to us. Talk to Jason, talk to myself. There's a great book that we recommend in your notes, Financial Peace. We're going to be hopefully doing a course on this soon. We would love to help you get more peace in your life in this area. So if you're feeling that, let us know. We'd love to help. And then number three, if you're already giving and you're feeling like I've got my bucket, looks really nice and neat, it's leveled off, everything's in its place, I want to encourage you to reread Matthew through this lens and just see if the Lord speaks to you. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak and to see perhaps if there's some blind spots that you might have when it comes to, to the manner in which you're giving. All right, enough on that time for a closing story. This cracks me up because this is a book I haven't pulled out for 
a decade or more. It's called Still More Hot Illustrations for Youth Talks. That, uh, I uh, was a youth director in my former life, and uh, evidently I needed more hot illustrations. So here's one of the hot illustrations. And you know it's hot because it's got clip art. <laughs> Come on, isn't that just amazing? All right, so here's a story that is horrible theology, but it's got an interesting point. It's called Earthly Treasures. I mean, we had good intentions as youth directors. We really did. Theology was horrible. We had good intentions. It's called Earthly Treasures. Knowing that he would die soon, a rich man had all of his assets converted into gold bars. He put them in a big bag on his bed, draped his body over the bag of gold, and breathed his last. And when he woke up, he was at the gate of heaven. St. Peter met him at the gate, and with a concerned look on his face said, Well... I see you actually managed to get here with something from earth. But unfortunately, you can't bring that in. Oh, please, sir, said the man. I must have it. It means everything to me. Sorry, my friend, said St. Peter. If you want to keep that bag, then I'm afraid you'll have to go. You know, to the other place. (laughs) I'm just the messenger. You don't want to go there, believe me. Well, said the man, I won't part with this bag. Have it your way, returned Peter. But before you go, would you mind if I looked in the bag to see what it is that you're willing to trade eternal life for? Sure, said the man. You'll see I could never part with this. St. Peter looked in the bag. And when he saw the gold with a puzzled look on his face, he said to the man, you're willing to go to hell for pavement? Let's pray. (laughs) Lord, I'm sorry that I just theologically said a lot of heresy here, but um, (laughs) my intentions are good. Lord, help us to know that you are calling us into a treasure hunt. You really are, as cheesy as that sounds. You're inviting us to take a step of faith that could potentially lead us, should we walk it out, to a whole new place, a whole new relationship with stuff, where stuff is just stuff and relationships are the thing. Being right with you, being right with one another, So, Lord, would you give us the courage this day to take our next step, whatever that is, in Jesus' name and in his power. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.